Chambers and Fire. Today we feature an exclusive career-spanning interview with the legendary Bruce Kulik. Welcome to Cobras and Fire. I'm your host, Luce Cannon, along with my co-host, Baco. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Unbelievable. This last week has just been just incredible as far as just just rock for me. So I heard. Yeah. I mean, to give you a breakdown, quick breakdown, within 48 hours on last Thursday, I got to see Sammy almost pull off a two-hour concert covering, you know, classic Zeppelin, along with obviously a Sammy solo, Van Halen, and just, just killing it, 67 years old at a fest called Sunfest in West Palm. And then boom, less than 48 hours, my friend Rob and I are all the way down in Key West getting away from the wives and the children for a couple days. And nice. and I interview Bruce Kulik. You can't spell Kulik without cool. That's damn straight. So uh, before we get into all that, for you first-timers that are here that possibly came here from a link mentioning the new Bruce Kulik interview, just to give you a quick summary about Cobras and Fire and what it's all about, we are a rock podcast with a silly name that's dedicated to sharing, hopefully introducing you to great new bands that have the hooks, melody, and attitude of classic rock bands. Now, we've got quite a few episodes in the archives already, even though we're a new podcast. Do you want to kind of break down a few of those, Baco? Well, sure, yeah. I think uh, you started the podcast with uh, like good bands with uh, stupid names. And then <laughs> yeah. what kind of brought what brought you and I together, besides Decibel Geek, was our love for Danko. And then we did a fabulous Danko Jones episode that teaches oh, yeah. people why they need to listen to Danko. If you were a Kiss, uh, Kiss fan, you should be a Danko fan, period. Uh, straight up rock and roll. So get on. Exactly. Exactly. And then we did it. We, of course, we had to throw in at least one Kiss episode because we're both really big into Kiss. Yep. And it was uh, good songs off uh, bad albums. And yep. we did a Black is a New Black about bands with the word abusing the word black. It used it in, <laughs> yes. in a way to name themselves lazily. And then, of course, my personal favorite, uh, and there's more, but the, my personal favorite is The Devil Made Us Do It, which talks about Satan. songs about Satan, the dark <laughs> prince. Yes, yes. Lord of the left hand. <laughs> Father of lies. And we're available everywhere. Go to iTunes and blah, blah, blah. Exactly. So, but, but yeah, so you knew I was interviewing Bruce. And I did, um, but when you, you you messaged me about it, well, we haven't talked since. How did you line that up? Well, it's kind of funny. So it was totally unplanned. In, in other words, I didn't go to Key West to, to interview Bruce. We had uh, my buddy Rob and I, who was also on the interview with me. You know, we had this vacation plan to Key West, which if, if you're not familiar with Key West, it's 90 miles from Cuba. Key West is three square miles. It's an island. You have to take these... Uh, like you're on a bridge for like 30 minutes at times, and it's actually the bridge that's featured. Uh, you're an American male, correct? Correct. Okay, so you've seen True Lies. You know the ending of the movie that just has this long bridge where everything's blowing up and whatnot. That's the bridge you have to take down to Key West, and it's a really unique area. And but just like any time I go to 
on vacation, I always search on Ticketmaster and just wherever to see if there's any bands that I would care to see. You do that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, you know, in April, I did that before we went down a couple weeks before, and it just said Grand Funk Railroad was coming to town. And again, for you first timers coming here. Hey, uh, Bruce Kulix and Brick. Hey, I see where you're going with this. Nice. (laughs) I'm glad you're following. So, you know, we are also known as the Bastard Sons of Decibel Geek. We we are both writers on their website. And, you know, a couple years ago, Chris and Aaron had interviewed Bruce. So, you know, I talked to them about how they got in contact with him. I contacted him and just he said yes. And next thing you know, 48 hours after rocking out with Sammy, I'm interviewing him at the Waldorf Astoria in Key West. Can't wait to hear it. You have heard it. I know. I just wanted. <laughs> I, I thought maybe the listeners didn't know, but no, it, it was great. I loved it. Uh, it's too bad that it wasn't in the Cobras and Fire budget to fly me down to Key West. But uh, no, I mean, coffee is not in your budget. And if you if you if you're trying to <laughs> if you want to be reimbursed, uh, tough shit. You're you're not getting reimbursed for for coffee. Yeah, it was great. Um, you, you covered basically from the start of his career, at least, you know, professionally, you know, on, on the big scale up to where he's at now. And I've heard a bunch of interviews with him. There were still some snippets that he threw out there that I hadn't heard before. And it was a really well done interview. You covered a lot of bases and kept a you managed to peel some little nuggets of uh, Bruce juiciness out of him. So. <laughs> Brucey Juicy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it was just really cool experience. And just to give Bruce some some props here, too. I mean, super cool guy. I can totally tell that he's in a, in a good spot with his life. He just had that. He just had this this vibe of just he's he's healthy. He's he has so much desire just to be a musician. I mean, you know, yeah. he's he's a working musician. He's doing he's he's touring with Grand Funk. He's working on it. Some some you know, solo projects. And, and that's part of what's great about this interview too, is for the first time he's mentioning he has a new single coming out in June and also revealed the fact that he, uh, he'll give details about his work on the follow-up to his last solo album, BK three. Oh, I knew I had one thing I was forgetting. So yeah. So we were slotted at two o'clock in the afternoon and he said he only had a half hour. So, you know, we get there and, and right at the 30-minute mark, you know, out of respect for his time, I'm, I don't want to keep him from anything. I just go, hey, uh, 30 minutes are up. You want to keep going? And he goes, yeah, yeah, let's, let's go. And then an hour went by and then an hour and a half went by. And, uh, you know, I, and it, it got to me thinking that we must have passed is what I call the douchebag test. Douche cannon. <laughs> Which you do call me sometimes, douche cannon. But, yeah, I mean, we must have – he must do that, which is smart, where after 30 minutes, he can just bail. So if there's anybody out there to, that's interviewed Bruce and he's cut you off in 30 minutes, you might be you a douche. You were a douche. You might be a douchebag. But yeah, I mean, so that was... <laughs> you might be a douchebag. You might be, because that's what made us feel great, is that he just went for an hour and a half, and he must have really uh, liked the questions as well, because we weren't there asking... Is, I have an alternate theory. What? Um, he had an erection and couldn't get leave the table. We're going to start this over. <laughs> You think that's all it was? No, of course not. An hour long? Oh, my God. Seven. 
Jesus. But yeah, so the, the other the other part I'm going to mention is that, you know, during the interview, you'll see that I, I have little musical interludes or little clips from from things that are related to what we're talking about. And part of that is just because I like putting that into the show. But also, we are in this, this dining room, which you'll hear a little bit of background noise. Not too bad. But, you know, we are at a resort hotel and randomly there's there's a bunch of people that must have been on the beach that just love their frozen drinks. So every once in a while you hear and I didn't I didn't want to ask Bruce to re redo his, his stories when we were just getting crushed by sure. by by those sounds. So there's That's a couple said, don't you think ninja's an odd name for a blender considering how loud they are? <laughs> That's definitely going to be your best joke this episode. But yeah, so you're going to hear a couple transitions. I think there's only two where we go from, for example, we go to the exposed video to all of a sudden we just go hot in the shade. I don't know if you noticed that, but that's that's why is we had to cut out chunks because of blenders. Got it? Yep. So anything else, Baco? Let's get to it. Bruce! Direct from the Waldorf Astoria in Key West, Florida on May 2nd. 2015. This is Bruce Kulik. Welcome to Cobras and Fire. This is Loose Cannon and my co-host Rob. And we are in Key West on May 2nd. And we are with someone you may know named Bruce Kulik. You want the best? You got the best. The hottest guitarist in the land? Bruce Kulik! Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Certainly the hottest guitarist in Key West. <laughs> it's so laid back here. I'm, I'm, I'm burning up from it, you know. It's crazy. There you go. But it's really, really lovely. I, I had no idea with all the traveling that I've done that uh, we have this little uh, island, you know, that's 90 miles from Cuba. Yeah. I took a walk down towards the southernmost yeah. point. And, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty pretty interesting because it is a little bit laid back, yet, yet you know, there's the commercialism of it being a resort. But right. it's... I, I, I give it two thumbs up so far. <laughs> so, what I was thinking about doing is kind of starting um, with your your whole career, kind of going back to when you played with uh, Meatloaf, right? Uh, in the beginning, and so we might be here till next Tuesday. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of no, jump around yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. But that's kind of the structure of it. And also, we have as hack journalists, we we prepare usually by going to Wikipedia uh-huh. and getting a little background. Sure. And there's some things that may or may not be inaccurate. Um, mm-hmm. May not be accurate. Right there. So we're gonna throw some of that at you. Sure, sure, sure. Cool? Yeah. All right, good. So, when you were on tour with Meatloaf, did you ever see Meatloaf eat Meatloaf? <laughs> we were offered Meatloaf at many, many gigs. Actually, <laughs> not even offered. Was that part of the rider? <laughs> we, we made a point to never put it on a rider because it got oh. very obvi- obvious. Um, the machinery to, to, to get Meatloaf um, known, uh, it didn't happen automatically. You right. know? It was a struggle at first. Um, there was money behind us to tour, and I was, of course, not on the record. That's Todd Rungren, who produced it and played all the guitar work, okay. who I love and have worked with uh, at the Fantasy Camp. But uh, my brother and I were the two lead guitarists, my brother Bob and I, and um, it was our goal to kind of recreate. It was a big band, nine people, you know. Yeah. And, and And by the time we did a few early dates, like the first one with Cheap Trick, um, we were booed off the stage. Okay, nobody got it. Um, but this was after Bad Out of Hell, wasn't it? Well, it was. 
I'm talking about really the first gigs. So yes, we were promoting the record, but no one really knew it yet. Okay, so they see this. He was really large then. Okay, 300 pound guy in a tuxedo and and a full band, and they're like, you know, screw you, get off the stage. You know, it, it was. Oh my God! You know, Milov talks about it. I know. I know. Um, he remembers it pretty well. Anyway, a lot of money eventually was pumped into it. Of mm-hmm. course, we played the CBS convention, and I'll, I'll shorten the story to just we got all the support in the world, which meant we did a lot of radio because back then you did break a, ra- a record with radio. Right, had that. Mm-hmm. And once the record company got behind it, and the radio stations played it, and people responded. That's, you can't force people to respond, but they did. There was right. something really right. incredible with. Steinman's writing and Meatloaf singing and the music and Todd's production. So uh, every radio station would show up at every gig, and and then there'd be like a meet and greet, and there'd be a, and and then invariably there'd be Meatloaf. And the disgusting part was, you know, I like Meatloaf actually, but uh, you know the you know they made it look like a cake because you're celebrating something. You don't bring a Meatloaf to a party, right? <laughs> you bring a cake, but they made it look like a cake by putting cream cheese on the top. Well, uh, there's the icing. Yeah, disgusting. Was it with uh, with the singles that hit? Was it was it two out of three ain't bad or was it bad out of hell? And it finally got, well, got bad out of hell was more like the album dashboard. I'm, I'm pretty sure it, Paradise by the Dashboard Light, but but it was one of those records that just was getting airplay and uh, I forget what the first vi- I actually didn't do the video because my brother and I had a, like a recording session with a different artist. And, okay. And back then, well, maybe even now, uh, whatever, you didn't really get paid to do a video. But hey, I'm, you know, I wasn't. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. What am I going to, you know, you pay me for the gigs, but you should pay me for that. So we didn't show up. Anyway, there was plenty of live footage that got out mm-hmm. later on. Sure. And there's a live um, German product from Eagle Rock, I think, of that band playing. And uh, we wow. did a good job. Of I mean, that it was a good band. Lineup, yeah. Right? And actually, if you buy any fairly recent CD of, um, or you go online with uh, iTunes, the remastered version has an extra two live tracks, and that's my brother and I. That's your own. Okay, yeah, oh, cool. Uh, I think I think Bob's on the right, I'm on the left, and uh, I tell you, the, the, you know, it was a great band. I'm still in touch with some of those guys, and uh, it's amazing to think. Without that, I'm not so sure I would have understood what it would be to be with Kiss, you know, in a big production, right, right, right. knowing an arena tour and sure. flying and touring the world. So yeah, right. It was it was a very difficult year for me, but it was very important for me. Yeah, you know? very good initiation into it. Yes, exactly. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is that the end of yeah, the story? yeah? It's, okay, that's plenty cool. of meatloaf. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the next stage was with uh, Michael Bolton, correct? Yes. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I love his music. I do. I'm a Michael Bolton fan. For my money, I don't know if it gets any better than when he sings When a Man Loves a Woman. This is the tale of Captain Jack Sparrow. Pirates so brave on the seven seas. What? Uh, Michael um, was a Connecticut artist. You know, my brother knew of him before I, but uh, I, I did get to play 
um, some local gigs with him. Blackjack. Uh, before no. Blackjack, oh, Blackjack, actually, before I would that. back him in, in a club. Yeah. He was a soul, kind of more of a blues rock artist. Yeah. It's interesting, his first recordings. And um, he worked really hard on putting together a couple of key songs that got some label interest, but they really wanted him to have a band. Hence, uh, reaching out actually both to Bob and I. And Bob had uh, some other things going on and wasn't that comfortable with... Um, that situation and for me I was attracted to it so I carried on signed a record deal for what was Blackjack gotcha so on the related to that on the Wikipedia and I gotta read this because it's I wanna make sure I have it right okay so when you were in Blackjack Mm -hmm. with Michael Bolton Mm -hmm. uh, when you did like had a great song like a Mm -hmm. good co-write or you just killed it on stage Right. They say that he allowed you five interrupted minutes staring into his dreamy blue eyes as a reward. <laughs> now that you made up, come on. You know. we, we, I we saw were, him there, man. I got Yeah. He really, um, you know, Michael and I, you know, I, I saw the uh, kind of like strength he had on stage with people, right. and I, I learned a, a couple of really cool things from him. He used to, he, I, even though I thought he was kind of like a very funny and manic person, you know what I mean. I remember him being late for the audition because he had to find the right shoes. Well, there were monitors in front of the stage. You could have been barefoot. It didn't matter. Yeah, right, you know, right. you, you know what I mean? Because you yeah, did yeah. it at one of those nice rehearsal places in in New York. So there he is, literally late for the audition to buy shoes. Um, but Michael um, and I, you know, kind of coming from uh, very humble beginnings in uh, you know the East Coast. Uh, he knows I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And it was interesting. Years later, I was able, obviously. Um, he was he was you know known as a strong songwriter and Paul was aware of him and know yeah, they they, they, they the knew blackjack. In fact, I remember Kiss played on a radio station because they don't support a lot of other bands all the time, mm-hmm. you know. But they were yeah. doing some publicity for either Lick It Up or no, the Lick It Up would have been too late. It would have been like Destroyer even or something because our record came out in '79 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Something that around that period of Kiss '78 to '80s of like you know like, anything you want to play, you know, and he wound up playing Blackjack. Right. You know what I mean? You know right. that actually Paul would play that. So they were aware of us. But Getting Paul Stanley and Michael Bolton together was quite interesting, and they wrote a great song, of course, forever. And I love one of your best solos. Thank you. Yeah, and I love the the fact that I had that opportunity to play an acoustic solo in it. Yep. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting for something from my past to then connect to to the Kiss gig, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's still something that Michael talks about, um, you know, when he's performed and all, and uh, and and on occasion Kiss still does it too. So. uh, and I obviously, whenever I try to gig in 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 my world, I'll I'll do that. Not not Grand Funk, of course, you know, but saying when I do things related to just me. So um, that's kind of nice that Michael, dreamy blue eyes or not, you know, <laughs> got the right uh, forever. You yeah, know. it's a privilege. Yep. But uh, okay, so with, with that, that's a good segue into mm-hmm. kind of just uh, breaking down how I got completely into a Kissaholic and and, and obsessed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people who get in on the 70s, etc. Sure. Well, I was I was 18 when Revenge hit the streets mm-hmm. and got it the first day, and then from there I started going back to checking out Hot the Shade. I did mm-hmm. the Exposed video, and that's right. my next question for the Exposed yep. video. And you know, I just love the bigger than life, everything and silliness right, of it. Right. Now, who cut and pasted your head? <laughs> I'm glad on, you noticed on that, that. Yeah. On that out on that cover. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Why were you not there? What was the deal? Like, yeah, was, of, was of Eric course, Eric and Ka, Eric Carr and myself were there. Okay, no, we were I filming, don't. you know, this this wacky script that had very little of us in it. Yeah. Um, and and you have to really, you know, put your time capsule kind of hat on, you know, to know 
video, uh, even that's going to come out on a VHS tape, was extremely new then and exciting. People, oh, I can actually buy something that my favorite band did, and, and you know what I mean. And I think for Gene and Paul, it was like in, an incredible opportunity for them to showboat in front of the camera. And you they know, did. Yeah. Gene already, you knew that he wanted to be in film and right, TV, right. and he started to do things yep. predating that video. Paul, I think, certainly considered it, but I don't think he was aggressive about it as, as, as Gene. But so there you go, a very, in a very heavy-handed way f- to further their own agendas, the two of them uh, really took charge of this thing since the money was there from the label yep. and this fantasy life of being a rock star was presented to the fans. I had my couple of me- you know, meager lines, which right. were pretty funny. Bruce! Is this the documentary? Yes! Edit her out. Edit her out. Edit her out. And there was a bevy of very hot women running around. They were all hired through some sort of agency through the, you know, people involved uh, that knew how to film us. And, um, you know... uh, How long did the band stay there all together in the house together? um, We probably shot, and nobody lived there, of course, and they made it like it was Paul's house, although, you know, he always has had lovely homes, but, you know... if you're going to have all that commotion going on, you're not doing it in your own house, you know. But but in L.A., you know, everything's make-believe anyway. So, you know, they That's rented it. a nice place. Sure, sure. And they had that crazy guy with the eye that goes this way, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think there were lots of opportunities for photos. I, of course, got the photos with, with Eric with the monkey. You know what I mean? And I, actually, that was with my camera, you know. And they realized whoever was covering it really didn't cover enough to realize for the package it would be great to have a lot of photos. Sure. Okay? So Gene and right. I think when Gene and Paul auditioned the women, uh, and again, they all came from like some porn agency, okay? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> you know, which is yep. ridiculous. I know the girl I was chasing was some Brazilian porn star, okay? Yeah, I recognize some. <laughs> right, there you go. <laughs> I didn't say that. Yeah, you didn't say that. But all I know is we weren't there when that photo happened, okay? And they wanted to use it badly, so they had enough shots of like Eric and I, so they literally... Back in then, that was a popular job. The guys who used to have to cut and paste. Yeah. It was before no Photoshop, Photoshop Adobe. Yeah. No Photoshop, right? Scissors and glue. So, and it's interesting. You do know it, but I've mentioned it lots of times when I've signed the product because it's been on even Laserdisc and yeah. stuff. And I go, you know, we were chopped in there. You know, they go, really? You know what I mean? So, yeah. so uh, you, you know, they pulled it off. Like, okay. Like yeah. No. No. But it's it's very lame. I wish I was there. It would have been a nice shot. Exactly. You know? But anyway. <laughs> So you you are right about that, though. All right, confirmed, yes. 100%. See, this guy walks into a doctor's office with a frog on his head. The frog says, what's wrong with you? And the doctor says, it started with a bum on my ass. You know, I blew that one. I did. <laughs> what did the doctor say to the frog? Guy walks into a doctor's office with a frog on his head. The doctor says, what's wrong with you? The frog says, it started with a bum on my ass. I'm a shade. Yes. And that one, I I know it's... I think it's underrated. I was actually talking about it about it too. I think there's some, and it's it's kind of funny. I, I read your the commentary, right, I guess, on your right. songs. And yep. "Loves a Slap in the Face" has always mm-hmm. been one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good Gene song. You didn't realize the it was a drum machine, awesome. though. Huh? I didn't realize yeah. it was a drum machine until yeah. it got pointed out. Then I was like, "How did I not know that was a nah, drum machine?" Yeah, because you're not listening to that. You were listening to a song, and that doesn't and it doesn't really it, matter. Yeah. And it was you know? part of it was it's Kiss. Yes. Why would you have a drum machine? You know, well, when, I when did you make got, a kind of Eric Carlin. kind of. I, I made a point about it. No, I wasn't being vicious about it. It's just, yeah. But it's the way it went down, and I know it, it, it bothered Eric, of course. But but either way, uh, it's not to ruin the enjoyment of the song. And actually, I was um, 
pleasantly surprised with Hot in the Shade after yeah. going a track by track. At the time, yeah. I was kind of like, do we really need 15 songs? Right. But Gene and Paul were the both producing, and they compromised by... Right. I'll give you this one if you give me that one. Almost, I guess. But yeah. none of, you know, look, there's some great stuff with Hot in the Shade, especially um, uh, Hide Your Heart and Forever and um, even Cadillac Rise Dreams. to It and Cadillac. Yeah. I didn't, you know, Silver Cadillac Dreams. It's, it's funny, yeah. though, because Cadillac Silver Dreams. Silver Spoon, I like, yeah. yeah. Cadillac Dreams gets, uh, mm-hmm. love Silver Spoon, but like, Cadillac Dreams gets slogged a lot. I have no idea why. I picked on Gene about that one. Yeah. I actually said to him, I really don't like this song, but I. <laughs> And, and he goes, okay, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. I wasn't telling him not to do it, but to yeah. me, it just seemed a little uh, left, you know, a left turn. But I think he was getting into like adamant or something. Somebody Got horns in it, right? Yeah, there was something yeah. different going on there sure. that I didn't understand. I mean, look at his solo record when he finally yeah, put out Asshole was was very interesting. Yeah, definitely um, odd. I mean, I like the tracks that Eric and I worked on with him, but right. but the other stuff was odd, you know. So yeah. Um, so anyway, you know, look, and and every record's going to have their it's not for the artist to decide which is the good track or not, you sure. know. And being a band in the same way that the Beatles had very varied uh, material on every record, right? Uh, and some people, were, oh, I prefer the Lennon songs, or really Harrison has the best songs on this, or I love Ringo, you know, whatever yeah. it is, right? So it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And that's probably too one to bring up upon the shade is, you know, that's not something that people know. You know, a lot of them, you know, every single minute of the album production. Mm-hmm. So. How bad was the financial situation, or that, or what was the decision? I guess leading mm-hmm. oh, the, in, into like when you. I know that you went went you know full full out on Crazy Nights with the, the right with Neverson and everything production, yeah. but there wasn't a, a, a bad situation for Kiss about Hot in the Shade. What happened was there was a, a, a climate of change in the music business where doing things a little more rough and ready seemed to be more popular okay mm-hmm. and I do think that once the demos started coming out good at a demo studio they didn't want to bother to move into the fancy place mm-hmm. you know I, I'm and I'm you know I can't you know just like take a, a time machine back to that year and see mm-hmm. how I was feeling or what mindset exactly they were into but uh, it, they knew that it wasn't really going to sacrifice and even the idea of keeping the drum machine instead of recutting it for Eric was solely based on it sounds good like this we like it you know what I mean is is that a fair enough excuse to leave it maybe maybe not yeah. but but it wasn't like the band didn't right. have the money or they were trying to save the money so um, I did take a little offense to um, I didn't really care if we weren't in a, in a fancier studio because I really liked the guy who ran this place right. this guy Pat was great great uh, Pat Reagan was a very nice guy hard worker very very uh, easy for us to be creative with so uh, in that way that was I, I bet him also being the owner of that studio was a lot of the reason why we just stayed there yeah because as soon as you go somewhere else everything changes you know what I mean so both right. of them were doing demos there both of them were happy with what they were getting right this guy's getting it all right yeah. we used some tricks we used some drum machines. He did some programming, you know, things like yeah, that. Yeah. So we just stayed that course. But to say it had anything to do with finances, no. It just had to do with, well, we went that route, and, you know, why don't we just do this? Maybe, you know, right. who knows? Maybe maybe being more um, rough and ready with it will make it uh, better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You know, they just kind of threw it at the wall, and it, it seemed a lot more true than some of the other, I mean, in the more just straight-up mm-hmm. um, zone. And I don't know, any other stuff from that specific album? 
that kind of. Uh, I just thought that um, we worked at it. I just was surprised that we were finishing 15. Okay, right. but then again, a CD can hold all that material, you know. So exactly. uh, why not? Right. Who knew that later they'd want to release it on vinyl again? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And back then, that was like a real teetering point. We probably put it out on vinyl, but vinyl was probably really yep. starting to like fall off the map already. So CDs were everything in the late 80s, for sure. I had it on tape. Know. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Because I, I had the Sony you know, click one. Right. Yeah, the actual one. By the way, tape's coming back now. Metallica just put out that cassette. You know, go figure. <laughs> yeah, now it's the number one cassette. Of course. <laughs> I don't think it has a lot of competition, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lars wins another one. had a really successful tour right with forever once a hit yep. yeah and uh i know then we were managed by larry mazer who's still a dear friend of mine uh who was involved with cinderella and and, and nelson and other bands of the of the hair band generation uh-huh. sure you know? sure um you know i think it was really wise that we had winger and slaughter most of the time they were getting really hot on mtv and right, everything right. you know so it was a good package yeah. and that was a long tour and uh and i really think by the time we needed to do Revenge. Um, first, we were asked to do a song for a uh, movie, you know, Bill and Ted's, yep. mm-hmm. the, the, the sequel to the first one. Yep. And that, that was the litmus test for Ezrin. Okay. Uh, Bob had a great career, of course, with Kiss, but the first album, Destroyer, was an obvious smash that he was very influential on. The second one being The Elder, which was a little bit crazy. Yeah. Even <laughs> though uh, it, it's a good record, but it's odd. Um, and I think they wanted to blame it more on him than everything else. I wasn't around there, so yeah, then, right. you know, maybe rightfully so. But either way, uh, that one song uh, was produced by him, and it was a, a remake cover, uh, and God Gave Rock and Roll to You was an incredible track. And that, right. and that cemented Ezrin's position to produce the new record, which I was thrilled about. Right. He's gotten a lot of press just recently speaking out about the record business uh, or the industry as, as we know it mm-hmm. um, because it's, it's been so decimated in many ways. So uh, um, I still keep in touch with Bob and I, that was a great experience. I'd prefer when Kiss is produced, even yeah. if in the end it's not your favorite record. But but at least for me, um, I, I like. I know that Gene and Paul always have a point of view, and sometimes they don't always agree. So then there's sometimes compromises because of it, even though they have an amazing working relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's not criticize that. Look, right. at, look at the success. But 
but the key here is an outside person uh, isn't going to be swayed too much by yeah. that 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 inner dynamic. You know, kind and even if one's yeah, even if one is a little more buddy buddy with one than the other, which is usually what happens too, uh, there's still that uh, they're they're not in the band. Yeah, you know. But that's why, for me, uh, I'll always mention Revenge as being my favorite experience with yeah. recording with Kiss. It was a long period of time. Ezrin gave me many, many tasks, and uh, and I, I knew I was dealing with like a mad professor. You know, this guy. There's no, there's no mystery that he was involved with some amazing things. He's super oh, yeah. talented. He's he is a bit eccentric at times, but that's okay. You know, uh, with all um, great talents, there's there's some, uh, you know, quirks that they, they that they seem to have. You know, but I, I really learned a lot working with Bob. Really did. Now, did you ever pull Gene aside during that and, you know, like on Prisoner Love and, and Cadillac Dreams, which gave a little bit of feedback <laughs> about uh, the, the the Spinal Tap reference in? No, no, I'm sure he was aware of it, but you I don't think, think he, he cared. Yeah, okay. uh, right. I, and if he wasn't, I don't. You know, we're Kiss. But they, you know, so what? <laughs> you know, you know. Exactly. Hot damn, blood above. Want a lot of woman with a lot of love. What well, sin, but it's plain to see. It don't mean spit to me. Great, great record. Amazing. Yeah. All the, yeah. the guitar. That's my favorite guitar work by mm -hmm. here. just happens to be. And there was a real that. point of view that the guitars would be really, uh, you know, very vicious if necessary. Right. And yep. uh, I, I did get, do as much creatively as I could to make it memorable. I knew how to double myself. I could, um, you know, whatever Bob threw at me. Right. You know, and it was almost like doing a Beatle album because I see him play around with gear the way the Beatles would experiment. Sure. And, oh, okay. and I was like, why are you distorting the compressor? check it out you know what I mean I hear it by itself doesn't sound good then in the track yeah. you know that guitar part with the other one I'm like that sounds great yeah. you know again these 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 kind of like very creative um, uh, you know techniques to, right. to, to do things really 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 special so um, again I, uh, that was a great experience I, I have a, actually a follow up to Revenge if one, one, one question actually um, Carja Guitar, mm -hmm. uh, car jams, phenomenal. Thank That's, you. It's just, and it's awesome. It's a great tribute to, to mm -hmm. Eric Carr, obviously, when, when he passed. On your on your blog again or on your website, mm -hmm. you talked about how you were in there the next day 
after Eric's. Yeah, you know, we flew back, and whatever the next day to work, we're yeah. back in the studio. Yeah. What was it? That was, so it was just we got we got to get this down. Yeah. And it was just pressure pressure on. How'd well, you come up with, I mean, how did you kind of do it? Once I realized, once they realized that they wanted to add that to the record because they did have those tapes, even though it was something from the past that that Ace was involved in too. Right. But the drum solo would be perfect as a you know tribute to Eric. Um, I'm glad I didn't know the song too much in the, yeah. in the earlier version or any remake of it. So for me, I was really fresh on it. And, you know, I'll be honest, and I, and I think I've said it before, but it's true. You know, that was devastating for everybody, you know, mm-hmm. emotionally. So to, to work and play your instruments and be creative and do something like a tribute, um, you know, it, it, it wasn't... That was that was good therapy. Yeah. That's so good. I did enjoy... Yeah. Playing the guitar, I remember it was just my old Les Paul plugged into the Marshall. I, there aren't a lot of, you know, crazy pedals or wacky sounds. It yeah. was very straight ahead, and uh, I did my my guitar riffs, you know, and um, it came out really good. It's it's tight. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially for instrumental, sometimes right. they can go one right. way or the other. Sure, it's just, sure, sure. It's always awesome. I mean, if I could think of a band, it would be like I would think Moby Dick, you know, from yeah, from Zeppelin. Yeah, know, I mean, yeah. So it's guitar and drums, and the drummer's going to go wild, you know. So. Uh, it was great to add that to the record. That was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that actually, it was, it was Rob and I's first concert was Revenge. Okay. Mm-hmm. And cool. we saw you in Fort Wayne? Fort Wayne. Fort, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Lined up as the days of general admission shows. Mm-hmm. And it was in the winter. It was cold. I can't remember. That time period. Yeah, we, we, we did tour late in the year that yeah. time. Yeah, it was, it was definitely yeah. cold. But like 92 to 95. Mm-hmm. Not to take away from anybody else, I think you guys were the live with the tightest... I, I don't disagree oh, with that. I bet you don't. <laughs> but, no, look, there were a lot of great years with right. Eric Carr, but there was something about uh, once we got Eric in the band, Eric Singer, and and we had that Revenge record because that was really Eric's introduction too sure. to mm-hmm. recording with Kiss. Um, we we had this. Uh, uh, I guess there was a, a new vibe and 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 a hunger to to be great and then to celebrate some of the old material as sure. well. We we actually dug. Uh, into the past a little more than I did during the other years and and Eric being a big Kiss fan actually by nature Eric Singer he went to see them you know when they came to Cleveland you know what I mean so um, all of a sudden we're doing you know like She or Watching You you know it's the greatest set list yeah everything that was great about your era right so I I was excited to um, bring it up a notch it's not like I have a favorite one but I did I do most of the time um well, if I'm if I'm trying to show somebody some arrangements from uh, the Asylum record, it will be more likely versions live with Eric Carr. Okay. Okay. But but the later stuff, if we're going, you know, uh, then it's usually from a live three or some of the, the cool bootlegs that I have with Eric Singer and myself. Right. And okay. and there's some really you know uh, great gigs that we used to do. I, I was very very proud of that band. Well, live three kind of shows that, and so yeah. does Unplugged. You know, that was the four of us. Yeah, and then of course the special uh, couple tracks that had the uh, the other guys, you know. Yeah. But yeah, great band, you know. And look, it it didn't come to an end because we weren't a great band. It sure. came to an end because of that cycle of culture and of the, the idea that old is new. Yeah, and and the fact that um, if they didn't do it then, I'm not sure like how much you know longer they could have waited. So I understood it, even though you know it was hard for me. But you know, exactly. I got it. And so that kind of segues into. The fact that I told you it was the tightest for me mm-hmm. version of the band is when I was waiting for Live Three to come out, and I found out later, you know, the parts just like a lot of the live things are, are mm-hmm. cleaned up and whatnot. But I was like, 
why? Mm-hmm. Why would you even clean it up? Because I've seen bootleg. You know, they have the bootleg on Kistory and stuff mm-hmm. like that of, of the show. And it was exactly as I remember. And I think back a lot of times. I'm like, I think that was that was one of the best concerts. What performed just straight. It was just great. So, mm-hmm. what was the decision? I guess there are certain tracks. That I guess we're all. This is only information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. out there, right? I, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, I guess um, some tracks were just redone studio oh the cleaning up I, I thought you meant up. we did something x-rated and we were cleaning it up okay okay oh, now I, I suppose did. yeah yeah um I'll be honest that that I know most of my stuff didn't need to be touched up right. there were certain things that weren't recorded properly that needed to be looked at um generally um we didn't have the crowd sounding as proper as we needed mm-hmm. and we did have a great crowd and right. then when you're listening to the tapes and where's the crowd noise, you know what I mean? And it's right. like anemic sounding because it wasn't recorded yeah. well. You know, I love Eddie Kramer and maybe live records aren't his thing. I mean, I don't have to, um, I, you know, I, uh, he, he's an amazing, you know, engineer producer. He sure. did, he did Hendrix and then Zeppelin mm-hmm. and of course some Kiss stuff. But that live record, there were just some things that didn't happen right. So I know that we did need to, to touch up some things and put it together a bit. Um, but I, I think it was done well because, it, you know, and I was there a lot for the mixing. I wanted to be there. Same thing for Unplugged. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's still, I have original tapes that it was taken to, from, rather, or meaning, I remember we, we, yeah, we recorded three shows. And I know most of it's either Indy or Cleveland, actually, what it turned out to be. Yeah. But, but these board mixes are not, you know, it's not like, they, it's a world of difference. Again, it's a board mix, so it doesn't right. have... You can't put out a board mix because, you know, you, you get the moves from the mixer. You don't really get what it right. sounds like in the crowd. Sure. But uh, I don't think a lot was repaired, but I do know there was a lot of issues with the uh, um, crowd noise, some of the drum things, although Eric never redid the drums. But um, I might have actually touched up a couple of guitar things, maybe some vocal things, some introductions maybe needed mm-hmm. to be done. But it's a long time ago, so I don't really yeah, remember. Right. Just, I, I, I was just kind of shocked because yeah. of all the times I needed some cleaning up, it didn't seem like that was the no. And the and time, and I'll on. I know for a fact that, and I can't swear to everything that was or wasn't done. But I right. can tell you, it was less than what was done. Other ones on a live one and two, and <laughs> yeah. I wasn't around then. But right. I, I I've just heard things that like, oh yeah, we did this to that. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't even know what they did. Exactly. Although those records, they defined Kiss in that generation. So. Even I was, you know, like, whoa, you know, listen to this. You know, yeah, I, I prefer yeah. those versions to a lot of the studio stuff. Yeah, all, all of the so, studio stuff. So, right. you know, and anytime anyone um, wants to say to me, you know, oh, I love a live three, and I've gotten that a lot, I never feel, like, guilty in the, in the least, you yeah. know, as if, like, oh, I, oh, we fooled you. No, I mean, um, I'm, I'm always like, thanks, because I, I'd say 95% of, of what I believed I played mm-hmm. and Eric played and, and even probably the bass just maybe some of the vocal stuff was touched up yeah. is, is is from the performance you know sure, sure. big fan of your solo albums too BK3 being my favorite thank you happens to be the favorite but 
you know, that my, if I had to put my second on the list, I would say that my favorite solo album by you is Carnival of Souls. <laughs> oh, you're cheating there because it's a Kiss album. I know that. Yeah, but, yeah. But, I know. But I know, you wrote know. so much. Yeah, on that. but but again, you know, I was I was fortunate to be very creative in a mode that they were looking for riffs. They wanted a darker, uglier, meaner, meaner revenge. Okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I've told this a million times, but it's true. Well, if you like that record, you could thank me because I my create creativity at the time was pretty good by by doing darker, uglier, meaner riffs, you know, and and feeding them, you know, yeah. both Gene and Paul. Uh, but honestly, uh, and if you hate it, but that's what they wanted. Exactly. Don't blame me, okay? I mean, <laughs> so I know there's a guy, there's a guy that just wrote my my uh, my website, you know, that my my merch girl will take care of. I, Carnival Soul is my favorite record. He's from Ireland, you know, and he's going to sure. send the uh, the album in to have me sign and ship it back. You know that yeah. that one product. I mean, you know, it costs money to ship and 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 all that, but that's what it means to him. You see what I mean? Yeah. And I get that. Uh, I'm I'm proud of the record, even though I I, I do think it could have been mixed better. But there was a lot of stress going 100%. on there. Yeah. Uh, Toby was under a lot of grief from more Gene than Paul. Paul was already the. The reunion's going to happen, so no, you know, whatever. Yeah. His, his attention was distracted, right. you know, uh, and there wasn't much I could do to save it. You know, Gene would come in there and, in a heavy-handed way, wait a minute, you know, turn up the faders, like, you know, it's like, uh. so. I think it was really hard for Toby to keep control. Um, but anyway, the, the vibe of the record is not like it's the worst-sounding album, but I just know that it, it could be mixed better. Um, but I'm I'm proud of some of it, uh, even more than some other things. But uh, it was an interesting time for the yeah, band. Absolutely. For me, uh, imagine this. Here I am. Wow, now I got nine co-writes on a Kiss yeah. album. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not in the band anymore. Oh, what happened? Uh, yep. Oh, you, you know what I mean? So it was yep. like, I'm, I'm standing tall, and now you pulled the rug out. Right. You know what I mean? But uh, nothing was intentional. It, it was... It was um, uh, business. It was business. And I do think that they weren't throwing me a bone by having me co-write that much the formula for that record at that time was to to have those dark riffs and the fact that I'm the lead guitar player who was you know fooling around with I was going through a lot of personal things at the time that I was only happy when I was playing the guitar so I'd set up my drum machine make a beat tune down or whatever and I'd come up with riffs so I worked hard so that's how that happened I walk alone I can't even tell you how many versions of that song I worked on how many demos how many times I the backwards yeah worked on it yeah, yeah I did I did a million things I didn't intend to sing the song but uh, I worked on it and worked on it and worked on it uh, and, and every time I'd bring it to Gene you know we then we'd make another revision and he was really excited about it but Toby saw that like no Bruce has got to sing that because I sang the demo just because yeah. I, I redid the demo so many times there was no way that uh, I could ask here Gene now sing it you yeah. know what I mean and I didn't have the multi-track with his voice uh, changing the backing you know the arrangements kept changing in a very crude way I was quite creative considering I'm using a a Sony Pro cassette machine to my Akai 12 track to transfer over to to add things then flipping the tape to do backwards things and grabbing that and placing it in I'm not cutting things I'm just like you know I was doing crazy things but not impossible to recreate once we got to the big studio fortunately and and, uh, it actually uh, even surpassed my expectations you know, with what I was able to help create because that was like for me you know a tip of the hat to Hendrix and, and Queen and, and bands like that sure. and, and Gene was I, I was very very uh, impressed how 
uh, creative he wanted to get to with it, you know. So uh, it was a good good experience for me. And I don't mind that it was like the only song I sang in Kiss and, right. and my last statement in Kiss. It was a very fitting actually. Yeah. And I don't be They just recently had on Decibel Geek a. They do this thing called Albums Unleashed where they mm-hmm. sit down with a producer. Right. And they actually had Toby Wright there. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, I didn't follow all that, and I, I've had a couple people tell me, okay. I have to listen to that. I saved the, uh, the info. Yeah. Because I know he talks about the, uh, Carnival Souls a lot in depth, right? He does, mm-hmm. but his. And that's why I was going to ask you this if you had a better recollection. Mm-hmm. His recollection is kind of. I just heard the song again. Now I remember about this and right, things right. like that. That's but, why I got to listen. Like, yeah, so yeah. He might spark some memories for <laughs> right. me too. Yeah. So, but his vibe was, or his memory was that mm-hmm. when they when the call came in, mm-hmm. that you know we're getting the band back together and, and everything within the studio, that they basically left you to kind of finish it. I think it was kind of the, the vibe. Well, was, you had so much involvement in it that it was like we got to do, we got to start this. Well, at a certain point. That's like half true, okay. uh, and I don't think it was intentional. It's just they kept it real quiet. They were negotiating with um, Ace and Peter's representatives by the end of MTV, probably sure. even during the actual making of MTV. Because even though I don't know this is a fact, it's it's pretty clear from when I add up all the pieces of the puzzle, is that yeah, Ace and Peter wanted to do a reunion tour badly and weren't going to be so agreeable about Unplugged which MTV was insisting on mm-hmm. having Ace mm-hmm. and Peter involved, right. unless they were able to make a decision that how could they make that a reality, yeah. meaning to actually tour in makeup and do that. And right. once everything was ironed out, which was not easy, okay, and again, completely, I'm in the dark, okay, so is Eric Singer, uh, but they want to make that happen because there's big money on the stakes, the people that are trying to make it happen. Yeah. MTV is going to get the score of Unplugged with the reunion, sure. and then and then here you go. Everybody can, like Star Wars, relive something, you know, after it's been gone yeah, all those years, right. you know. So um, by the time that they were willing to talk to Eric and I and explain what was going to happen, we were a little more than halfway, almost three-quarters, done with the record. Gotcha. So the meat and potatoes of the record, we were all there. Everybody was doing their job. Nobody was thinking about the reunion tour. They may have had some phone calls on break, or they may have had contracts on their desks back right. at their homes, okay? Once that was the, 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 the beans were spilled, as they say, and we have our conversation, which I totally got, 
there was a commitment and money spent to record a record, so it's not like we're stopping the record because right, of a reunion right. tour. Yep. But yeah, their 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 focus because they had a lot to deal with because now they knew it was full tilt. Okay, right. see full tilt. See, yeah, full Kiss tilt. is going to put on the makeup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That's that's the lovely kitchen staff here at the uh, yes. at the beautiful Waldorf Astoria on Key West. Anyway. Um, at that point, I mean, really, there was probably just lead stuff left and maybe some vocal things and right. the finishing touches of the record and then the mixes. Right. Of course I was going to be there. Yeah. You know, and if it meant both of them weren't there, we yeah. carried on because Gene trusted me and so did Paul. And yeah, Paul was bringing, oh, let me see if the boots fit. You know, and he's trying them on at the right. studio. You know what I mean? I'm kind of <laughs> like, brought them in. you know, I'm like, oh, yeah. you, you know, but you know, look, yeah, I was supportive because they weren't you know, saying, all right, in, in two weeks, your paycheck ends. You know what I mean? They were very clear that they were going to take care of Eric and I for a year. And, and, and really, they didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, obviously, once they put tickets on sale and started selling out, yeah. but what if, what if Ace or Peter went, you know, completely rogue? Yeah. Then what do they have? Yeah. Yep. So they knew to keep this thing, you know, kind of like solid and, and, uh, and, and still have Eric and I as, as, as you know, uh, something that they can fall back yeah, on if yeah, they had to, which up. was smart of them, and and obviously a a, a, be, a better cushion for me mm-hmm. and, and Eric, so that we can get into the next you know phase of our careers, you know. Yeah. So I can't really take all that credit. Uh, it's just I was there, and um, certainly up until that point, uh, Gene and Paul were dedicated. Yeah. Hmm. After that, it got a little bit distracting. Right. And I think for Toby, even though he got it too, uh, who can blame them? to try this you know and 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 they were right because it became hugely successful um but you know the the uh focus wasn't quite the same right that changed yeah did it did it take uh time after it you know when you're like let go i guess you know that we're going to go in this direction Mm -hmm. to like process the entire experience and been like well it's that was that and now I've got to move on. I kind of, to be honest, I, I almost. I, I always feared the reunion because I knew Ace and Peter would have loved to be in the band. Right. Um, so for me, it wasn't as shocking. It was what's for Eric. Eric Singer didn't think Peter could play, and um, and and he was wrong because Peter didn't do horribly at all. Yeah. You know. Um, so for me, uh, I was kind of. Always in the back of my mind. I was shocked I got 12 years out of it, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Right. So yep. right. um, it wasn't a, too much of a shock. Um, but I, I knew that I'd have to start from the bottom again, in a sense, which is what I did with John Karabi with Union. So let's go into your, your solo albums. Mm-hmm. If you could kind of break down, because I know Rob has le- less of a threshold for instrumentals, but <laughs> but but I, I like instrumentals in general, but... I try to keep it melodic, the instrumentals. That's what I'm saying. Like, what is the art of... Because I love uh, Paradise Mm -hmm. and uh, Monster Island. Right. What's the art of not making an instrumental? Well, there's a... Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. uh, Too too much of a wank fest, okay? Correct. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh, Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's a riff. Eric sings that very well. Anyway... (laughs) I'll, I'll give you just the, the, the backstory on the three records because they all have an evolution of myself. Okay, Audio Dog. By the time Union ended, I, I realized I want to do a solo record. You know, I mean, it's not so much that we all like broke up the band. It's just we hit that wall where we didn't know what what we could do. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, we just did it all, and um, I had a lot of leftover material that I showed Kiss 
that didn't I didn't get to. I mean, Old Man Wise for Union was something left over from Gene and I. Okay. Yeah. I just want to jump in. Well, how did you get connected to Kurt? And Kurt Cuomo was someone I met through. There's so many songs. Um, right, uh, Kurt I met through Paul Stanley because Kurt um, and Paul wrote some things when Paul was, you know, uh, kind of dabbling in just being like writing songs, mm-hmm. not necessarily for Kiss. You know, right. to have like a catalog because that was very popular then, and there were publishing deals and sure. people that would put you together with different people, and somehow Kurt and him got along, and uh, that's how I met him. And I got involved with Kurt. I asked Kurt to help out with the Union record, you know. Uh, and then past that, I realized the first solo record, obviously Kurt could help me too. So I recorded it at his studio. Uh, but that all, all the material from that started with uh, stuff in the closet that were left over. Hmm, I remember Gene liking this music, but we never developed it. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do I do with it? Yeah, right. And then a few of them were obvious that I wanted to be able to sing. And some were just like, I hear a melody for this. This could be my way of doing a Joe Satriani. No, I'm not Joe Satriani. He's even more... He, he, he's really technically amazing, but still, yeah. give it a theme thing, you know, and, and then, you know, play fancy things. And so, so I, I, I didn't have a formula, but I did have a, 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 an instinct as to what song should be instrumental and what song do I have to sing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was being brave coming out. I realized, well, I sang I Walk Alone and, you know... I, don't, I think the, you know nobody complained. The, the Kiss fans reacted, so I'll sing some of these. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so then I moved forward and and started to write more uh, lyric things, uh-huh. and and I was proud of Audio Dog. I think it was a great reflection of me having this attitude. If I have to sell it from the trunk of my car, that's what I used to say. <laughs> Little did I know that DIY kind of thing was yep. was really was the future of business. Stage yeah. at that point. Yeah, and I didn't look for a record deal. I didn't ask anybody to help. I funded it myself. Recorded it with Kurt, started printing a thousand, another thousand, another right. thousand. I probably sold close to ten thousand of that thing through those years, yeah. which was amazing. It's on the website. Right. Yeah. And, and then I did, I did uh, dis- distribute it to some. There were there were more of that back then mm-hmm. in 2000, uh, 2001 than there is now. But that's what I did. Okay. Uh, Transformer. I realized, oh, two years went by, and I'm busy with Grand Funk, traveling all around America, and I'm just like. Hmm, let me write this. Well, let me write this. You know, and I, I just sure. started writing, started writing the lyrics on the planes, keep me busy. Uh, I knew I could sing this, you know, whatever. And I pushed myself again to, to get in the studio. That one I asked uh, John to sing a song on. Yep. And, um, and there's Transformer. Okay. Um, by the time I was finished with that is when I met this, this young guy, uh, Jeremy Rubolino, who's actually related to Ezrin who was a huge KISS fan that I knew he worked with Brett Michaels and a few other people in L.A. and a young guy at the time. And he wanted to get involved with Transformer, but I was already, you know, like getting ready to master it or whatever. So I said, well, when I'm ready to start writing again, we'll get together. So I started working on with him on BK3. Now, I didn't know it would take us like four years to to write it and put it out. I didn't know that. Yeah, I started actually writing songs in 06 took that oh, long wow. but there was a whole process with it and the touring and the working you know prevented and then we cut some things that we didn't finish excuse me one of those actually wound up on on itunes you know it's the bonus track okay, okay. I, I did get to finish it uh, about a year ago when i put it out uh, up there but um bk3 he was pushing me to reach out to other people you know mm-hmm. like I, I didn't have to trick Gene. Uh, it was very natural. Even Eric said, you should ask Gene. And then Gene's like throwing Nick at me, you know, his son, you know. Yeah. So 
there was it, there was a really long non methodical process yeah. <laughs> to um, you know creating the special guests sure. you know to, to go beyond just having my buddy John sing a song so all of a sudden you have a Doug Figer from the Knack and then uh, Tobias Samet from mm-hmm. you know these famous German band Ed Guy and Avantasia and then uh, Steve Lukather to jam uh, solos with me on the one instrumental. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, y- you know it was a real process, and I like that it was an evolution to it. My my biggest challenge now is like, and I'll just throw a title out there. It doesn't mean I'm going to call it BK4, but thinking of right. the fourth solo record, what am I going to do? Is it going to be more of the same, or is it going to be a complete left turn? I don't know yet. I know I have some material that I really love that I do want to finish, that I feel could be you know. A start of a record, you know, sure. and there's plenty of the songs on my iPhone that uh, I've recorded that I know there's a song there, and I just got to get to work. Right. But the only breaks I put on it was putting the vinyl out was obviously a big deal. Okay. It took a while to uh, uh, have it manufactured, and the artwork was a pleasure, of course, with the same guy who did it for me on the uh, dig- Digipack. And I only started shipping it like two weeks ago. And it's been crazy, actually, you know, because there was a huge flurry of orders. It's doing great, and I'm very proud of it. And and sonically, I was thrilled when I got the test pressing. And and I'm hoping in the future I could do um, vinyl for the other product, too, you know. But the the other news that's also interesting that's kept me from having the time. Look, a trip to Australia takes months to arrange, but then you're gone for two weeks, you know, and then I'm back on the road with Grand Funk, and then I'm selling the BK3. And, and now I've been doing a lot of stuff regarding this other project called KKB. It's my first band. Um, I was 20. Uh, we weren't called anything, but we rehearsed our asses off and recorded some very progressive cream meets yes, I call it, okay. uh, kind of material. Uh, my buddy Mike, uh, who I grew up with on, in, in Jackson Heights, where, where I lived in, in Queens, mm-hmm. wrote the majority of the songs and sang, and he plays incredible bass got a great rock voice and I did put out a limited run when I first found the tape okay back in 2008 the joy of re-releasing it in 2015 is the fact that he found the original tapes so now we can really remix them properly Uh, they're at the right speed they're at a higher quality and now I can give it a little more effect that it sounds much more professional but then I wouldn't do that without we gotta write a new song so the idea of a new song was like a big chore. So um, many trials and tribulations later, killer new song called Got to Get Back, and that will be the title of the record, because I like that it's kind of related to the yeah. fact that I'm getting back to putting out something from 40 years, but now in a better way than I did the first time. Because yeah. the first time was literally, I even showed it on the packaging when I did this limited run in 08, only for my website. You know, there was a picture of the realistic audio tape, which is like Radio right. Shack, by the way, the stuff wasn't on Radio Shack tape. It was on better tape than that. But my copy was on Radio Shack. Yeah. And when I, I mean, Mike knew that I was releasing it back then. And I said to him, I said, do you have the tapes? Do you have anything? No, I can't find anything. Well, last year he found everything. You see what I mean? Actually, next week, it's exciting. I'll be ordering them. I decided to do, again, a limited edition. Okay. And I'm going to add in, a, uh, I just ordered the picks. They're on their way, guitar pick, you know. Nice. And then I'm, I'm looking at, I'm not 100% yet, but I'm looking at a download card so that this way they're also getting that opportunity to put it on their computer. Put it, sure. you know, They don't have to burn it themselves. Yeah. Even though I think my fans love physical, but it is going to be a six-panel, gatefold, mm-hmm. digipack kind of thing. And I'm looking at a photo card because I really would like a little, them to have a souvenir yeah. from it too. 
And then the flip side would be the real story of why KKB he needs to be released in 75. You know, okay. I mean, the discovery of the tapes, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the new song. And what's really funny about the new song is, first of all, I love it. And all my friends that have heard it freak over it. But it's just, it sounds like maybe from 40 years ago. That's what's right. weird. And it's hard well, to do that. It's hard to put yourself in a little time capsule. I mean, the production, too. Yeah. I played the demo to, for Fred Corey because I wanted him to help with some of the drum, drum programming before we sent it to a uh, guy over in France. And Fred, you know, Cinderella drummer, yeah, now he writes for TV shows and stuff. And we're good friends. And it, he got all confused. He, he, he got that KKB was 40 years old, but he didn't get that that was a new song. Yeah. So when we finally had the conversation about what I wanted him to do, he goes like, all right, so this song I got, man, it's cool, 40 years old, huh? It sounds great, 40 years ago, wow. <laughs> I'm going, no, 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 that's a new song, but I need you to listen to some of the other ones, you know what I mean, just right, so he had a reference right, point, right. you know. No, no, come on, Bruce, that song's 40 years old. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? He, he was insisting to me that we didn't just write it this year, you know. So anyway, um, it, it's going to be a, a great package, a limited run. It will be on my website. Uh, I'm finally excited about it, and I'll put it up on iTunes too, why not, sure. even though I, I don't know. You see, the, the game with all that, with iTunes and Spotify and Pandora is... Once you go through one of the companies that, that, that does it, like TuneCore, CD Baby, and okay. people like that, right. um, then you're able to have them serve it everywhere. Because okay. right now, if you don't have that, we all know that streaming pays poop. Right. I still support buying music. I have to learn classic rock band stuff all the time for the, for the fantasy camp. Mm -hmm. Oh, Pat Travers is the guest. You know, I know some of Pat Travers' songs. Do I own any of it? No. I go to iTunes. I listen. I go, like, this is good click buy buy the greatest hits buy the packet yep. whatever and now i have it yeah is it a vinyl no did it cost did it break the bank no but that's what's unbelievable people will go yeah i'll check out your bk3 and then the fans listening on i on, on right. that itunes is listening on youtube that's even the worst. worst i know thank I you know. i'm very impressed with what my uh, engineer friend uh brian who worked on bk3 too did to these vintage tapes it sounds killer and I'm excited about that. So hopefully that, I, I will, I'll, I'll guess that by June that should be ready. She's running, she hides, but you got to get back. She's running, she hides, but you got to get back and get back and get back and get back. I don't want to even begin a conversation about um, the 99 things that are wrong with uh, the record industry right now. It, it, it has changed. Everything's changed. How would you like to be a photographer nowadays compared to 25, 30 oh, yeah. years ago? A million photographers. Anybody that has a camera yeah. is uh, a wedding photographer. And now people enjoy a concert. I realize any time I play live, uh, if I stink fortunately um, I have a, a, a good quality control engineering in my brain and I generally <laughs> play well but you get what I mean you know yeah. everyone's filming everything and you're gonna see it you an know. off night yeah. look I had a great night Wednesday in Hollywood jamming at Lucky Strike which is a very happening that. thing yeah and you get to experience that believe me being there live is nothing like that and I really enjoyed it I had you know the guys learned the songs just the way I wanted them and I had a blast you can tell yeah. but but the fact that I could share that with the world, that's those are the amazing things about yeah. the internet. Yep. You know what I mean? 
Um, at the same time, what I always do is I'm like, put down your phone, enjoy the... Yeah, moment. yeah, be there in the, the moment. moment. Exactly. And the other reason I would never do it is mm-hmm. somebody out there is filming it for me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I, I know. And it's going to be better. It's going to be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it, it's always, you know, I always have to, like, edit uh, anytime I see something too live that I'm, I'm like, no, don't use your phone. Take it in right now. You know, yeah. and I remember the first time I had my good iPhone, I was at a SEAL concert in Argentina. Mm-hmm. No, no, I'm sorry. It was it was in Chile, in Santiago. I, I ran into the band flying from Argentina to Chile, and the guitar player was a big Kiss fan and, and knew of me, and we kind of made friends, and next thing I know, I'm front row to see SEAL. You know, right. it was great, and, right. and I like SEAL. And I'm like standing, you know, there I was, yeah, you know, yeah. the, <laughs> that was years it. ago already, you know, so I was, <laughs> I, was, I was really guilty. I was probably four <laughs> years like, oh, ago. What am I doing? Wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, but it was great. And then he's like singing right to me. You yeah. Know? So, right. we, we, you know, <laughs> there's nothing you can do. I know there's there's uh, artists like the Eagles that have complained about it and come out vocally about it. But I realize there's nothing you can do. About I went to a, uh, not, I'm a big, not a big fan of this band at all, but I went to a Tool concert mm-hmm. and they had, they actually have, you cannot... Yeah, phone they don't want. They actually you. have security, yeah. yep. and yep. I was like, "It's kind of a jerk move." I'm like, "This is a brilliant." Yeah, yeah, move. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that band, you yeah. remember their videos? You didn't see them really. No. It was always these creatures. No. So maybe exactly. they they have a concept of how they want you to enjoy their music. You know, I guess but it, was, it was nice to not have be blocked. Yeah, is all. Well, I'm glad I got to tell you about the KKB thing Absolutely. and BK3 vinyl, and you know, my website and the the Facebook is always strong, and uh, my dates for the Grand Funk live gigs are always up on my site too. Yep. Because a lot of people get confused with the uh, Grand Funk site, even though you, all the dates are there, it's just they don't realize you got to go to the right and hit the scroll button. <laughs> you know, yeah. I've had some really smart people go like, "I only see one date." Uh, no, that's the first date of the year. That's just, just whatever. You know what I mean? More. That's how we're here. I yeah, can, yeah, I can, yeah. I know how to use a website. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. That's right. Yeah, you figured it out. Good, 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 good. Well, listen, anything else you want to mention? I really, we really just, appreciate your time. Absolutely. You know, I know I, I, you, I knew uh, I'd go longer than our 30 minutes, but I, I love hearing myself talk. No. Um, <laughs> just just I, I, I do want everybody to be supportive of the bands they like. You know, that's important because, uh, um, you know, even the people that record in their bedroom, and I don't, okay, I like to go to a real studio. But but it, it takes effort, and there's talented people that... that to do it right and and to make the kind of music that way you're used to hearing it is is uh, a whole cr- not only creative but a physical kind of you know um, process and yeah. and these good studios with the ten thousand dollar mic right. that makes it sound really pro is important you know what I mean for the music right. so that's why I just want people to support uh, their band's product. Really appreciate your time today. No problem. Um, over the course of jeez. More than half my life, I, I've <laughs> listened to between Kiss and Union and your solo stuff. It's, it's when you're down in the dumps. I just listen to some of that stuff. Excellent. It, it brings me up. It, it's a literally. lifestyle for you. That's good. It's you know, <laughs> <not> a lifestyle. <laughs> well, like the Beatles a pack of, are a it's lifestyle. A pack of dogs. You know? Yeah. Yep. All right. But, uh, well, thank enjoy, you. Enjoy Key West here. We'll thank you. Absolutely. Time you have, I'm sure. Go down to Duval. Try and make it Enjoy. And if you want, uh, you can borrow uh, borrow my scooter. Yeah, Yeah. that's fine. (laughs) Our hogs. That's right. Thanks, Bruce. All right, you're welcome. Thank you, Bruce.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 